And again, good morning. Good morning, church. It's always a privilege for me to stand here and to preach what I believe God is wanting to say to us as a church. And if you've just joined us, we are on our fourth week of a nine-week series going through the New Testament book of 1 Peter. All right, we're on week four. So if you do have your Bibles here, whether it's one like this with real paper or if it's digital and has a backlight, either way, find the book of 1 Peter. Somewhere between Hebrews and the book of Revelation towards the end of the New Testament, you will find it there. And we're going to be starting at 1 Peter chapter 2 verses 12. So just kind of keep your finger there. And, and what I want to say is while we always try and stick as close as possible to God's Word, we're going to be doing that even more so because on one hand there's so much to say and on the other hand it's quite a difficult thing to say and therefore I'd rather God's Word do the heavy lifting and me just adding a little bit of commentary along the way. So we're going to be sticking very closely, just looking at almost phrase by phrase, just trying to understand what Peter is trying to say to us, uh, that gives you opportunity to underline, add little notes that you might want to add into. So when you go home and you reread this and see what God is saying to you, uh, you also have some context. I feel like I need to warn you that Peter is about to get up in your face. All right, I feel like I need to tell you that Peter's about to turn up the heat, which is actually a good thing. You know, sometimes the scriptures are like chocolate milkshake. They're there just to make you feel good and to encourage you on a day that you may be feeling low. But sometimes the scriptures are there to teach us. Sometimes they are there to rebuke us. Sometimes they are there to challenge us. So while sometimes they're like chocolate milkshake, sometimes they're like a big juicy steak and vegetables. We need to chew. We need to metabolize. We need to put in some effort. It's not always fun along the way, but we know it's doing some good in us. And today is one of those. All right. So I'm just warning you so that you buckle up. That you buckle up as you come on this journey with me. The book of 1 Peter, the reason why we chose it is when Peter wrote this letter, he was writing to actual believers in what is now known modern day Turkey. He was writing to them. These Christians were in the Roman Empire and they were being persecuted violently for their faith. Here are these Christians and Peter's trying to encourage them. Peter's trying to teach them. And uh, I pose the question to you, if you were Peter, how would you open up your letter? So what what Peter does, and this is now the last three weeks, Peter's writing to these Christians in this non-Christian culture, in fact, a hostile anti-Christian culture. And he starts off with three huge foundational ideas. Idea number one is he says, value your salvation and your faith. Value the eternal things, he says to these people. Number two, he says, be holy. He says, be different. Just as God is holy, be holy. He says, you are never meant to blend in to the culture around you. And then number three, he starts talking to, about, to us about the fact that you are a together people, all right? Don't do this thing alone. Be with the brotherhood of believers. Be this building being grown by, by Christ into this, you living stones being built into the spiritual house. You're a people of God, a chosen nation. 
Right. Three big concepts is where Peter starts. And, and again, the reason why we have chosen one Peter is because if you haven't noticed, our culture around us is increasingly non-Christian. No longer can we assume that everyone we walk past is a believer. No longer can we assume that the sort of average morality of South Africa is parallel with what we would understand as a Christian morality. And not only is our culture increasingly non-Christian, some of you have maybe even experienced that our culture is increasingly anti-Christian. Now, while I don't know of anyone in our country that has died for their faith, at the intellectual front, if you go to universities, and maybe even if you go home or your workplace, it is increasingly becoming totally weird to be a Christian. So as Peter's words are encouraging them, so I'm hoping that God encourages us with the very same words. And here are these big pictures again. Your faith, eternal things, be different, be holy as I am holy, and live out this thing together with other believers. So we're going to dive straight in because there's a bit of a hinge verse here. So read with me. 2 Peter, sorry, 1 Peter 2 verses 11. Dear friends, I urge you as aliens and strangers. Um, Some of your translations say exiles. This is the name of the series we're going through. We're exiles. This is not our home. We're passing through. We're sojourners. We're aliens. We're strangers. We're of another world to influence this world. But we are these exiles. And he says, "I, I want you to abstain from sinful desires which war against your soul. And here's the hinge verse that I believe uh, changes the whole tone of this book. Verse 12. Live such good lives among the pagans. Now, Peter's not being derogatory. He's simply describing the fact that these Romans worshipped other gods, this known as paganism. They had all these, uh, 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 the Greco-Roman pantheon. That's who they served. They would self-describe as pagans. So it's not a derogatory term. It's just a descriptive term. But live such good lives in this culture that though they accuse you of doing wrong, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day he visits you. You see, what he's trying to say is your faith is not a private thing. Your faith is not a private thing. For so many of us, faith is something that, you know, it's between me and God. It's something that I never talk about. It's something we try and avoid in conversation. And, and maybe I'll go to church on Sunday and maybe I'll say grace in a restaurant or something like that. But that's where it starts and stops because it's a private thing. And Peter's saying, no, 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 no. If you get your salvation and the value of it, if you get holiness, be different like I am. And if you get the fact that we do this thing together, when we move forward from that space, we're going to be talking talking about influencing and impacting culture around us. We're going to be living our lives in very practical, and maybe I can add a new adjective into your vocabulary, in very missional ways. Now, the minute some of us hear the word missional, maybe you think of evangelism, just sharing your faith or sharing the truth of the gospel. Maybe some of you think of maybe more social justice-orientated ministries and feeding the poor and looking after the orphans and all of these things are wonderful, powerful things. But as Peter transitions from these three foundational ideas into live such good lives, he's going to go into areas like our marriage and he's going to say how you do marriage can be missional. How you do marriage can influence culture. He's going to go into areas regularly. How you go through suffering can influence culture and influence the people around you. 
He says, how you live out your life. These are things coming up. How you live your life with boldness and with courage is going to influence culture around you. How you relate to leaders is going to influence culture. And today, Peter's going to speak to us about how we as Christians relate to authority. And he's going to say, if we get this right, man, we can influence the culture around us. Now, as soon as I say that word authority, I know some of you feel like, you know, when you take your hand up the wrong way, up a cat. Some of you feel like that right now. There's just something in us that rebels against the word authority. I mean, whether we're talking about flower power in the 60s or the punk rock era or whatever you went through. uh, Let me just tell you, there's something in us that is just naturally rebellious and it's it's very natural to understand it. Our first parents, they are defined by their rebellion, Adam and Eve had everything that they needed and yet they rebelled. And since then, we've been rebelling. Now, I know that maybe some of you are compliant and you you just get told what to do and you're like, yes, sir, no, sir, how I, sir. As for the rest of us, we spend the rest of our lives rebelling, right? So we rebel against our teachers because of course we know better. And we rebel against our parents because of course we, we know better. And then you get social media, which is where the collective wisdom of the universe gathers. And that is where we see just every authority is rebelled against because, of course, we know better. And God is going to challenge us as believers because the world is watching and we're going to be living such good lives amongst our culture. How we relate to authorities are they going to point towards or away from the gospel. Now, I know what you're thinking right now because it's what I thought. Stephen, you know what? I'm happy to submit to a great authority. I'm happy to submit to great teachers and great leaders and great CEOs and great pastors and great presidents. But I know that some of you are sitting here and you're working in some large companies or maybe you're working for one of our parastatals and you're looking at your authorities and you're saying, Stephen, how do I relate to that? When I look at some of the corruption that's going on, what do I as a believer do about that? Maybe you're looking in your company, whether you're looking at your direct boss in middle management or stuff that's happening right at the top and maybe you understand some of the corruption that's going on. You're saying, Stephen, how do I relate to that? Maybe you're in a school and you're looking at your teachers or the governing body or the principals, whatever the case might be. Maybe you're in a university and you know that at the top things are not as they should be and you're saying, Stephen, now what? Now what? So I know that whether we're looking at companies or whether we're looking at our own governments, you guys are asking some very real questions. Stephen, what do I do? Do I just keep silent? Do I become a doormat? Do I walk into my boss's office and just tell him or her what's what? You know, do do I write an angry email or do I write 10 gentle emails? Or do I get all passive aggressive on my, you know, my blog or my Facebook page? Do I, and maybe at the bigger picture, do I leave my job? Do I join something else? Or maybe do I pack my bags and find another country? And I know that there's not a single person in this room that is not wrestling at some level with an authority that is above you that you're struggling with. Because of the nature of someone who is an authority, they have power. And sometimes that power means that certain people suffer and maybe you have experienced suffering. Maybe you've experienced pain 
Or maybe you've seen the effects on large groups of other people who have experienced the same. And the first area that Peter's going to go into, a bit of a can of worms here, is unjust governments. Unjust governments. Now, the minute I say that, I don't need to highlight kind of the, 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 the newsreel from the last 10 years. All right, because I know that we're asking questions and maybe for some of you, you're saying, man, I look at my pension fund and if things were different, it should be looking a bit better. I know that some of you are thinking again about moving to foreign places and foreign shores because of what's going on. Maybe some of you are not thinking about our present government, you're thinking about past governments. And you're thinking about the suffering and the pain that has been caused by those who were in authority, be it 10 years ago, 20 years ago, 30 years ago, 40 years ago, and the consequences thereof. So I know this is a hot button thing. And it is not easy for me to stand up here and speak about these things, but I've got to trust that God has something to say to every single one of us. So let's allow God's word to speak to us and continue reading. 1 Peter 2 verses 13, and we're going to read to verse 15. Submit yourselves for the Lord's sake to every authority instituted among men, whether to the king, some of your translations might say to the emperor, as the supreme authority, or to governors who are sent by him to punish those who do wrong and to commend those who do right. For it is God's will that by doing good, remember live such good lives, It is God's will that by doing good, you should silence the ignorant talk of foolish men. Now, you might look at these words and say, what? are Are you kidding me? Stephen, I mean, have you seen what's happening in our country? I know that some of you are here because you've left wicked and evil things that are happening in other countries. And he's saying, Stephen, it is a death wish for us if we are to do this. Now, let me remind you that Peter is not writing to us. The scriptures were not written to us. They were written to other people for our benefits. Peter's not writing to you, 2018. He's writing to Christians who are being violently killed for their faith 2,000 years ago. So, guys, we might look at our presidents, good and bad. They all look like the Easter Bunny compared to Nero. I mean, Nero killed his own mother. This is the man who had the authority. This is the man who was in charge when Peter was writing. And these people who were reading these letters could name people who had been killed for being a Christian. So as hard as it is, a pull for you to swallow today, You need to understand that the pill was much harder to swallow for these guys 2,000 years ago. And I want to encourage you to kind of take the long view in today's message and just let this thing build up in your mind. So why would Peter say this? Why would Peter start off by calling us to submit to these authorities? Well, we actually see it in verse 14 and 15. It actually says that uh, these are put in place by God. They are sent by Him. They are put in place by God. Listen to Romans 13.1. Everyone must submit himself to the governing authorities, for there is no authority except that which God has established. The authorities that exist have been established by God. Romans 13 13 verse 7. Therefore, it is necessary to submit to the authorities, not only because of possible punishment, but because of conscience. Now, as we think about the fact that God has put authorities in place, we need to just clear up something. 
What we need to clear up is this. Government is not the church. And church is not the government. You see, these verses teach very clearly that the role of government is about law and order. It's to look after those who are doing well and to commend them and to keep those who are evildoers and to punish them. That is what government's about. The church has a completely different role. We spoke about that last week. Things get very confused when we expect the government to be the church or vice versa. And things get even more confusing when the government and the church become the same thing. And it doesn't matter which country you go to or which religion you look at, when the government and the religion become the same thing, people suffer. So the government has been put there for a reason, to keep order, punish those who do wrong, commend those who do right. Stephen, that's great, but what about when they don't? What about when it seems like the reverse is happening? Those who are corrupt get exalted and get wealthy, and those who do well get trodden upon. What do we do then? Now, let me say this. Uh, I'm going to be answering these questions in layers. It's going to be kind of layer one, layer two, layer three. And again, this is why I ask you to come on the long-term view of this message. But basically, when we look at verse 15, for it is God's will that by doing good, doing good under a corrupt government, doing good under a violent government, doing good under physical and violent persecution, for it is God's will that by doing good, you should silence the ignorant talk of foolish men. How can I rephrase this? The citizens of heaven should be the best citizens of earth. The citizens of heaven should be the best citizens of earth. Of earth. You see, this passage starts off by saying, submit yourselves for the Lord's sake. You see, we don't do this because, hey, I might get a fine. We don't obey the laws because, hey, I might get caught out or I might get into trouble. The reason why we do this is because we serve one who is greater and because we serve him, we submit ourselves to the authority. That is the reason. It always has to be first and foremost because we do it for the Lord's sake. That is why we submit ourselves to the government and that is why we obey their laws. I was reminded recently about a story I heard about when some persecution was breaking out in northeast India. Um, just by the way, it seems like that has happened again recently and um, churches have been burnt down and people have been killed. But uh, the story that I was thinking of was in northeast India with these Christians, there was uh, some organized persecution against them and Christians were basically chased out of the villages. They had to kind of live out in the mountains and in the forests and uh, pastors were literally killed, put to death for their faith. Pastors' wives were raped and sent back into the community full of their disgrace. But listen to what an Indian newspaper had to say. Why are we persecuting these Christians? These are the very people that India needs. We persecute them and they go away and they pray for you. And they love you. And they're kind to you. Citizens of heaven should make the best citizens of earth. Let's read verse 17. Sorry, verse 16, live as free men, but do not use your freedom as a cover-up for evil. Living as servants of God, I've heard many Christians say, because of what's happening at the top, I am not going to pay taxes. 
And I know if you've never said it, you've thought it, right? I've heard Christians use all sorts of arguments why we can get around certain laws, why we can get around certain tax laws, why we can maybe even start smoking things that government doesn't want us to smoke, right? And, and Peter's saying, no, 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 because we, it's for the Lord's sake before we put Him first. For those reasons, we submit ourselves. We live as free men, but we still choose to obey the speed limit. We still choose to pay taxes. We still choose to respect our government. We still choose to abide by drinking laws. And this good verse is saying, when we disobey government, we are in fact disobeying God. And then finally, verse 17, show proper respect to everyone. Love the brotherhood of believers, that's the church. Fear God and honor the king. What? Nero, honor the king. Can you hear Paul's heart here? Citizens of heaven should make the best citizens of earth. Can the world say of us, why do we come against these Christians? We need these kinds of people. Now, I know we've kind of opened up a can of worms. We're about to do a bigger and a more nasty can of worms, okay? So you think you've had it rough already. It's about to get worse. So, but it's connected, and uh, hopefully this is all going to come together by God's grace. All right, so Peter's talking about living under not only a just government, but living under an unjust government. Now he moves, verse 18. Slaves, submit yourselves to your masters with all respects. <laughs> What? Slaves. Okay, governments I kind of get. Paying taxes I kind of get. Slaves? Now, when I said the word slave, we all have imaginations. What's the first picture that came to mind for you? What came to mind for you is probably something from the movies because I don't think any of you are slaves yet. I don't think any of you have ever owned slaves. If you do, please come speak to me afterwards. We'll pray for you. Um, but I don't think any of us have been actually exposed to real slavery. But as we picture slavery, we're picturing in our imaginations a modern phenomenon. The kind of export of the slave trade from Africa into the New World, into the New Americas, into Europe. Maybe you're thinking of the Indian slavery in Natal here in South Africa. But we're thinking of something fairly phenomenal. I want you to press pause on that. Because that wasn't to happen for about 1700 years when Peter was writing. You see, when Peter was talking about slaves... He had a completely different picture in mind. It's not necessarily a, a good or a moral picture. It's just a different picture. And it's worthwhile. As I, I just hope you're staying with me on this. It's worthwhile us spending some time to try and understand Peter's context. First of all, at this time, historians estimate that up to one third of the Roman population were slaves. All right, and in fact, slave, slavery was not a permanent institution. It was for many people a stepping stone to freedom and Roman citizenship. For that reason, many people outside of Rome chose to become slaves of Roman citizens in order to one day become a fully-fledged Roman citizen themselves. And the way they would do this is by a combination of good behavior and paying their way out. He says, Stephen, how does a slave pay his way out? Because the slavery in the first century, not exactly the same, but is more like your job that you have than anything else. See, slaves were paid. 
In fact, we think of slavery as a race-based thing. In the, in the, the, the first century, it wasn't a race-based thing. We think of people being treated like absolute animals and if they die or if their children die, who cares being treated like absolute dirt and their basic needs barely being looked after? In the Roman times, I mean, slaves could be incredibly wealthy. Slaves could have incredible power. Slaves could be teachers. Slaves could be even governors. Slaves could be ship captains. So when you hear the word slave, don't, don't import. I'm not saying first century slavery is something commendable, but it's just a completely different picture than what you hear. And as the gospel was going out, of course, people came to faith. People came to see that Jesus was who he said he was. And some of these people who were coming to faith were slaves. And now they're getting told, but Christ is about the gospel. Christ is about freedom. He is our Lord. He is our King. Not Nero, not any other authority. And now these guys are asking, well, well Peter, what do we do? What do we do? I'm in this household and, and not all slavery in this time was, was, was a bit of roses by any means, but whether they had cruel masters or, or wonderful masters and they were on their way to a great road of freedom, nonetheless, they're saying, well, what do we do? How do we live out our faith in this position? And Peter's recognizing. And this is where I want you to stop thinking about some other person called a slave, be it modern or ancient. I want you to think about yourself. Peter's recognizing that sometimes you and I are in a position under authority whereby we experience direct pain and suffering. Verses 19. For it is commendable for uh, if a man bears up under the pain of unjust suffering because he is conscious of God recognizing that we go through unjust suffering. Here's one of the reasons why I love the Bible. And here's one of the reasons why I've got a huge problem with the health, wealth, prosperity gospel. Health, wealth, prosperity gospel telling you just love Jesus and everything else will come right, including your bank account and your health. And I think the evidence just goes far to the contrary. Not only real life, but God's word. Peter's recognizing, man, these guys are coming to faith and you are experiencing as great faithful followers of Jesus Christ, you're experiencing unjust suffering. Now what do we do? And he's saying it is commendable if you bear up well. Verse 20, but how is it to your credit if you receive a beating for doing wrong and endure it? And endure it? Some of us experience suffering because we're an idiot. Some of us make some very dumb decisions and you want to blame everybody else, including God. And everyone's, dude, that is you. That's all on you, okay? Peter's not talking about that. He's saying, how do we relate to unjust suffering when it comes from an authority over us? Now, why? Why would Peter say, man, we need to submit ourselves to not only just governments, but also unjust governments? Why would he say, man, oh man, not only do you need to bear up well under just authorities, but also unjust authorities, whether there's unjust suffering, you need to bear up well. Why? I remember I told you, we're going to be answering this in layers. Well, we're just about to get a little bit deeper. You see, how we bear up under just and unjust governments, how we bear up under just and unjust authorities, and how we bear up under just and unjust suffering is either going to point towards the gospel or away 
from the gospel. We're either going to stick out and be different or we're going to do what everybody else does. Let's read on. Verse 21. To this you were called. What's going on here? He's saying, guys, here is your calling. All right, you're under this government that is unjust. Peter's not saying that what Nero is doing was okay. Some of you are in a hectic situation with your employee or your boss or whatever the case might be, and you're experiencing unjust suffering. This is the situation you're in, but you are called, not necessarily to the suffering, but you are called to respond in a certain way. Do you get that? Do you get the difference? You are called to respond in a certain way to the suffering. Why? Why are we called to respond in this way? Well, let's read on. To this you are called because Christ suffered for you, leaving you an example that you should follow in His steps. He committed no sin and no deceit was found in His mouth. Now maybe you're an employee in a situation or you're looking at your parents. I know teenagers are like, oh, we suffer all the time. You know, my parents not talking about that. Maybe you're looking at a high authority municipality, uh, you know, parastatal, the government itself. And maybe you're in this tough situation and you have experienced suffering or you've seen other people experience suffering. And maybe you're saying, but Stephen, I don't deserve what I'm experiencing. And maybe you're right. And maybe you're looking at some of the very tragic things that have happened in our land or are happening in our land or have happened in other lands and you're saying, and those people did not deserve what they are experiencing and maybe you'd be right. But if ever there was someone who did not deserve a mozibite, it is Jesus Christ. Because from the day he was born, he did not sin. He never gossiped. He didn't, you know, I'm sure he was a lot of fun with his brothers, but he never did anything that would endanger them. He never disobeyed his parents. He never disobeyed the law. He never lusted. He never had an affair. He never lusted in his heart. He was never unrighteously angry with anyone. He always perfectly obeyed the will of his father without deviating by a single millimeter, even if it inconvenienced him greatly. The only person who was completely guilt-free, who has ever lived, experienced probably the greatest trauma that anyone has ever experienced as he took not only the physical act of being tortured and killed for our sins, but the act of experiencing separation from his father and the anguish of the sin like poison on his soul, the sin of the entire world, your sin, the sin of the people around you, the sin of evil governments, the sin of genocidal maniacs on him. That is the example he set for us. And like with all things, it's going to come to the gospel and with Christ every single time. Let's read on verse 23. When they hurled their insults at him, he did not retaliate. You see, you and I want to respond with, uh, with, to sin with sin. All right, we get a nasty email. What do we want to do? Ah, go send. And we regret that every single time. Someone gossips about us. What do we want to do? We want to malign somebody else's reputation. Somebody gets our job, 
We want to make sure that their experience of that job is not an easy one. People hurt us, we want to hurt them. People are unjust to us, we want to be unjust to them. And the, and the gospel says this, don't fight evil with evil, overcome evil with good. Live such good lives amongst the pagans that though they accuse you as they accused Christ of doing wrong, they'll have nothing to say and perhaps at some stage come to the point where they can give glory to your God. Guys, if you haven't figured it out yet, Christians are soft targets. I was really struggling with this fact. At one stage, I was struggling with a whole lot of stuff going on. Facebook and the media and News 24 about Christians. And admittedly, sometimes Christians would say things and I just, ah, man, why would you say that? Come on, we're better than that. But here's the thing. So not only was Jesus accused of doing wrong, I mean, even Pilate's wife said, but this man's without sin. At the time of Nero, some of you may know that uh, most historians would agree that Nero was responsible for the great Roman fire. He wanted to have a building program and the Senate wouldn't fund his building program. So in order to get his building program approved, he, built, uh, he burnt down the city and then he could rebuild the city the way he wanted to. But guess who he blamed for burning down the city? Christians. Did they do it? No. But they got blamed. Was that fair? No. And that is why the persecution came out against them. Do you want to know what else was happening at Peter's time and in the centuries to follow? Christians were being falsely accused of all sorts of things. One of the things they were being accused of was being cannibals. Why? Oh, we talk about drinking the blood of our Savior and eating his body, right? So you must be cannibals. Christians were accused of incest. Why? Well, we call each other brothers and sisters and we greet one another with a holy kiss. So Christians are not foreign from being falsely accused. Though they accuse you as they accuse Christ, as they have accused Christians for centuries. Guys, we will be misrepresented in media. We must just get used to that. We will be maligned. We will be misunderstood. And I want you to find courage in that. Because you don't look at logic. We look at Christ and the gospel and he did this for our example. You see, we want to blow the minds of the world around us when God blesses us with health and wealth and say, look at my God. Peter was saying, hey guys, why don't you amaze the world by how you bear up under the suffering? You know, it's not supernatural to receive earthly blessings and to feel blessed. It's supernatural to suffer well. So, last big question, and I probably won't do it any justice, and I know we're going on here, but guys, I think this is so important. I'm sure most of you are asking this question. So Stephen, does that mean that Christians are to be doormats? That we are to take whatever goes, just lie down, you know, cut here. See, what he's spoken about so far is this. In as far as you are in a situation, respond well according to the gospel. Whatever the situation you find yourself in, under a just situation or even an unjust situation, as far as you are in that situation, respond well. That's what we've covered thus far. 
But the gospel's bigger than that. Because the gospel says, in as far as you have power, use it for the kingdom. Use it to fight injustice. Use it to influence culture, to influence companies, to influence structures for the sake of the gospel. Timothy Keller tries to get us to understand this. He looks at one of the most tragic things that have ever happened, and that's the Holocaust. Six million Jews killed just for being Jews. And he says, when we look at the system that brought that about, there's kind of four layers that we can look at. Right at the top are the most responsible people. Those were the architects of the death camps. One layer down are the kind of the employees in the death camps who kind of did what they were being told and maybe bought into some of the mumbo jumbo, right? But they had great responsibility, but slightly less responsibility than those on top. Then next level down are kind of civic German leaders who maybe knew what was going on, but chose not to do anything about it. And right at the bottom, those responsible, but maybe least responsible, was just the average German citizen who knew what was going on, but chose not to do anything about it. And here's the thing, the Holocaust worked because the whole system worked. How does that apply to you? Let's say you are working in a company and you come to some knowledge that people's pension funds are being siphoned off or or some injustice is happening to some of your workers or whatever the case might be. Some of you are at the civic leader level and you have some authority to speak into the place. Some of you are the average citizen and you're going to respond differently and we're going to use legal ways and moral and lawful and non-sinful ways to come up against some of these structures. But some of you are employees within the structure and you are going to be able to fight that very differently. And some of you are at the top and therefore are going to be able to fight very differently for justice. And if you're alive and breathing in this room, you have power somewhere to work against unjust leadership and unjust authority. Citizens of heaven should make the best citizens of earth. And Christian employees, I believe, should make the best employees. And Christian employers should make the best employers. And Christian CEOs should make the best CEOs. And Christian citizens should make the best citizens. And Christians in government should make the best authorities in government. And guys, if we did this, if we all exerted the power that we have, I believe the world could be a very different place. So let's conclude. All around this room are people who at some level are in the vice because of an authority over you. Be it right at the top with our governments or your boss or your manager. So let me ask you this question. Question number one. Will you, not have you, will you, because we're gonna change this morning, we're gonna decide to be the best employees, the best citizens, will you respond in such a way that points to Christ? Question one, will you respond in your situation in such a way that points to Christ? Let me remind you 
When we lean into him, we're leaning into the God who suffered. If you're being maligned, he's being maligned. If you're being mistreated, he's being mistreated. If you're being misunderstood, he was misunderstood. If you're uh, 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 experiencing poverty because of something that happened above you, Christ experienced poverty. If you're experiencing violence even, Christ experienced violence. So when we lean into him, we lean into the God who suffered and it comes alongside us and comforts us in a way that no one else can. So will you do it? And number two, if you have any power, will you use it to fight unjust suffering? Let's pray. Lord, this is big. This is, this is hard. This is challenging us at our deepest prejudices, at our deepest levels of discomfort at some of our deepest pains and God I pray before we even ask you into our difficulties just give us a greater vision of the Christ who suffered for us Allow us to see the God. It's not something that happened 2,000 years ago. It's happening every time we suffer. We can look at the cross and see the God who suffered for us and now walks with us and suffers with us. Jesus, what a great God. And you overcame evil with good and you defeated ultimate evil by rising from the dead. Now, God, I want to pray as the risen God who has been through this, those who are suffering. And I want to ask you to be so bold. If you are suffering under any authority, I want to ask you to raise your hand. Could be your boss. Could be your boss's boss, your boss's boss, boss. Something in government, if you're suffering, just raise your hand. Father, I pray for those who experience some of this And God, I pray that you'd be so real to them right now, giving them a peace that transcends understanding. And God, I pray that you would empower them not to fight sin with sin, but to respond in such a way that points to the gospel. And finally, Lord, I pray for all of us who have influence and power somewhere that we would work to alleviate suffering. We would work to fight sometimes the structures where we have opportunity. We would serve to lead those under our authority well and serve them well with justice. And God, I pray for insights, supernatural insights for all of us to know when and how to do this. God, may we, as citizens of heaven, be the best citizens of earth. And I ask this in Jesus' name.